You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula, where not only can you get your comics, your magic cards, and all the stuff that geeks like you will love, but now that accessible washroom is finally complete. This hits home from you guys. I'm a guy who uses a mobility scooter. I know how hard it is sometimes to have washrooms accessible in Toronto. So I'm really proud of Leon for putting his money where his mouth is, completing that accessible washroom, and making equal access for everyone. So go on down to 3456 Young Street, Harry Tarantula, and tell them Aaron sent you. Hey, fan people. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I'm always talking about the connection between comics and coffee. It's because I love coffee. I do my French press every morning. I do the pour over. That's why we've teamed with the superheroes at BAM Coffee, bamcoffee.ca. Their roaster, Aaron, is Canadian. He's from Saskatchewan, and he's a geek like us. That's why he's putting his clean, ethically sourced coffee in something called a BAM box. He's combining coffee with the geek swag that I know our listeners are going to love. That's 700 grams or 350 grams of coffee with art prints by local Canadian comic artists, a limited edition mug. I mean, what more could you ask for? If you want to try it, he's giving a special promo code to SpeechBubble listeners, SB15. So go to bamcoffee.ca, type in SB15 at checkout, and get 15% off your first BAM box. Hey, maybe you want to just try the coffee. That's okay too. He'll send you 150 grams of coffee, and all you gotta pay for is the shipping. I mean, that's a pretty amazing deal. So go to bamcoffee.ca and tell Aaron that Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. Also, don't forget to review our show on Apple Podcasts. It uh, gets other people to know who we are. And if you review our show and... uh, let me know on Facebook at SpeechBubblePod or Instagram at SpeechBubblePod. I will send you a comic from my personal collection. So get on that if you want some free comics. Anyway, with me today is Mariel Ashlyn Kelly. Mariel is a zinester in Toronto. She was named a 2016 zinester to watch by BlogTO, which is the prominent city blog here in Toronto. She's done little zines like Pixie Dream Ghoul, Moth. Uh, she collected her Inktober submissions from 2017. She's also been part of Drawn Poorly, which is a collective zine, kind of like an anthology, but a zine, out of the Manchester, UK area. 
Uh, I think it deals a lot with mental health and that sort of thing. Mariel, welcome. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Uh, you come highly recommended from our friend Jonathan Kachuba. Um, he's got new work coming out right now, Lover Man, which I think he uh, hinted at on his episode. So listen to his episode. Give him a shout out because he's sort of the reason that I got turned on to you. Yeah, he just sent me his uh, latest in the mail and it looks pretty fantastic. I haven't gotten all the way through it yet. You know what I love about what he sends in the mail? He does these amazing zombie uh, sketches and paintings on the envelopes yeah, of I got all the this, work that he sends. Like giant demon on mine. And I'm like wondering what my <laughs> mail carrier thinks I'm getting in the mail. It's really great. That's awesome. But I want to get to know you. So uh, where did you grow up? What was your early life like? Um, so I grew up in Ottawa. It's uh, fairly like urban city center. Pretty regular life. Um, I've been drawing for pretty much my entire life, I think. Uh, except when I was two, when I quit for a while because I drew a car that didn't look like a car and I was wholly unsatisfied with it. Wow. What, what do you think got you into drawing? Is it just something innate? Uh, yeah, I think it's just something that I've always done and it's been a way that I wanted to express myself. And, uh, a big thing for me is I always want to do things that the people around me are doing and doing well. So if I saw like other kids drawing, I would want to draw too. And I would want to draw what they were drawing and try and do it better, even if that wasn't always the case. When you were that young, did you always use paper or were you drawing on the walls and stuff too? Oh, I definitely drew all over the walls of my bedroom in crayon. And I think my mom was really thankful when magic erasers got invented because she could finally like get all the crayon and paint over it. Nice, nice. But obviously your parents were like super supportive. Yeah, definitely. Cool, cool. So, you know, you're drawing from basically infancy, like toddlerhood, and then, you know, you're growing up and that sort of thing. What kind of stuff influenced you in pop culture, in comics? Uh, you know, what kind of stuff uh, shaped who you were? Um, yeah, I mean, as far as comics are concerned, I think I've always been into everything that was not superhero comics. So sort of ran the gamut of like, the funnies in the newspaper, um, Far Side Comics in my mom's chiropractor's office. I had a bunch of Asterix books in French that I didn't understand, but I really liked to look at the pictures. Um, and my, I think, probably came to reading via wanting to learn to read so that I could read Archie comics. Oh, okay, cool. So what did what spoke to you about comics? What did you, what appealed to you about the medium? Um, I think... Part of it is that I've just never been a huge reader when it comes to regular like books with words. And I think the pictures were always really appealing before I could actually read. And that kind of just stuck with me through and through. That's awesome. So like, did you collect stuff or did you just like read stuff as you came across it? Um, were you part of the comic scene at any point in your life? Um... Not, like, in my younger years, I don't think. Like, I, I've i never really been, like, much of a collector. I definitely accumulated, a, like, a small collection of Archie comics um, through garage sales and stuff. Um, but I don't think... Sorry, I totally lost the plot on this question. Uh, you, you just don't think you were you were really collecting comics? It was just sort of a random Yeah, it was definitely thing. random. Yeah, I see, I see. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of cool. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue art as sort of a, you know, what you wanted to do with your life? 
Um, so I actually went to university to do a BFA, and it was because I was pretty much failing high school. Um, my parents told me I had to go to university, and I could pick whatever I wanted as long as I went. Uh, so I decided to do visual arts. Um, That's awesome. So in high school, what were you doing, uh, I guess, that like instead of going to class, I guess? Um, I was actually sewing a lot, and I thought I was going to go into fashion design. But then all of the fashion design programs you needed to have really good math credit scores for. So uh, I did not have those. <laughs> Don't feel bad. Like, I suck at math, too. Like, I had two math tutors. Uh, one of them is a really good friend of mine, Neil. He, he got me into comics, uh, you know, more sophisticated comics. But uh, I had two math tutors, and I only got 54% in grade 11 math. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was somewhere around there. <laughs> it was crazy. So I barely passed. Um, yeah, it was it was insane. So you're you're pursuing art and that sort of thing, but you're not doing like mainstream comics. You said you're attracted to like sort of more the independent stuff. How did you get into like uh, the zine culture of of Toronto? Um, so I got into zines sort of when I first moved to Toronto. I think I went to. Uh, a canzine the first year that I was here and that was when I discovered like oh these people are just sort of self-publishing books and I could be doing this too uh, and it was the first time it really occurred to me as the kind of thing that I could be doing um, when I was in school I majored in painting and photography and I was working in a magazine store so I was really into like publishing and print design and after I went to university I actually went to school to be a print designer thinking like, oh, maybe someday I'll be able to like publish something myself. Was it school that got you to come to Toronto from Ottawa? Uh, no, it was mostly looking for work as a designer. Okay. Yeah. Cool. In in the screen printing area or? Um, in like publishing. Publishing. Yeah. Cool. So you were into like, into like book design and that sort of stuff. I thought I would be and that's not actually where I ended up because it's it's an industry that's sort of hard to find jobs in now, yeah. but um, it was really good because all of the things that I learned translated into being able to publish my own work. Right, right, totally. Like y you knew like what you needed to do in terms of uh, technique and aesthetics and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and also just really practical stuff like page layout and how to deal with printers and how to print stuff on your own and that kind of thing. Cool, cool. And like learning this stuff was all like pre your first canzine. Yeah, I actually, I think I had already sort of accumulated most of this knowledge before zines became a thing that I was really aware of. And then um, I had been drawing comics sort of off and on after I graduated university. And I actually went to school for illustration as well, thinking like maybe comics was something that I wanted to do. And then when I went to Kanzine for the first time, I realized that, oh, I could just be publishing these myself. Right. It wasn't exactly getting into the comic book industry you just wanted to sort of do your own comics yeah i just wanted to draw and it wasn't you know i didn't think i was ever going to go draw for marvel um i have i've been working on a graphic novel for the past like probably 10 years from its infancy to actually starting to work on it and i think that's driven a lot of wanting to really understand um kind of the physics of making a book and what that looked like how did you find out about Kanzine originally? Did you just see a, an advertisement for it or did a friend bring you? Or? Yeah, I think I probably saw like a event for it on Facebook or something and then was like, oh, there's probably going to be comics here. I'm really I was really into indie comics at that point. And uh, 
So I wanted to see what was sort of local and then it kind of opened up a whole world for me. What kind of indie comics were you reading? Um, so I think the first ones I got really into was Adrian Tomine. And it was because I was working in a magazine store and his illustrations were always on the covers of The New Yorker. And I just thought that they were so magical and they told so much of a story just on their own. And then um, I found his Optic Nerve books, which were like the little self-published ones. And uh, also at some point realized that Ghost World was a book as well as just a movie and got really into Daniel Klaus. So it was it's kind of the classics of like indie comics that really brought me to that. Hey, like they're legends for a reason. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. You know what I mean? And like with Francois Mouly being the you know cover editor of The New Yorker, a lot of those uh, indie cartoonists get showcased because, you know, she's... Uh, Art Spiegelman's wife and stuff. So yeah, and that's a cool. really amazing place for it. It was actually funny because I saw those and I was like, oh, I really want to be an illustrator. Um, and then I met Adrian Tomine at, I think, TCAF one year. He was doing a signing and I was like, your illustrations wanted to make me to be an illustrator. And he was like, why aren't you drawing comics? I was like, oh, well, I am too. But it wasn't really my focus at the time. It, it really is now, though. Yeah, because sometimes you think like illustration is going to be like the serious it's going to lead to like the serious job, right? Whereas like comics are just sort of like a hobby type thing, kind of thing for people. You know what I mean? You don't really know where you fit kind of stuff. Yeah. And now that I'm doing both of them, really neither of them are that serious. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Cool. So you go to this canzine, like I, I'm not really familiar with the zine scene. I have a lot of friends that do zines, like my friend uh, Matthew Daly, uh, Jonathan Kachuba and stuff. But, like, it's a real blind spot for me in terms of the culture. Like, I, I'm more educated on, like, superhero comics and that sort of thing. So what is the zine scene like in Toronto? Can you can you sort of share the vibe with me a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's really evolved quite a bit since I went to my first canzine, which would have been probably eight years ago. Um, at that point, it was still people just had their stuff sort of set up on card tables and everything cost, you know, 25 cents to $2. And it was all photocopied. And it was still really within the realm of fanzines, which is what zines were historically, like people would, you know, you love Star Trek, or you loved some punk band, and then you would cut out photos of them from magazines and use your typewriter to type text and paste it all together and photocopy it. Um, and that was still very much what was happening back then. And it was like people were silk screening their own stuff. I think the first zine I ever bought was about how to stop washing your hair and use like baking soda and be more like environmentally responsible and stuff like that. Um, or like a vegan cookbook, maybe. And then um, things have kind of evolved since then, like people... I guess with like digital stuff being available and enamel pins being really fashionable, uh, everything's gotten really polished and a bit more professional and everyone's the caliber of the work has gotten really high. And now it's kind of everything. Like I've sat next to people at Kenzine who were selling, you know, hand silkscreen tote bags about their favorite K-pop bands or like mouse pads that they have made out of their illustrations. So it's kind of the world has really opened up and it kind of encapsulates everything that anyone is a fan of now. When when I think of zines, I kind of go old school to like that, you know, I'm thinking about like a punk you know, stapling and photocopying his like anarchist man manual type stuff, but it's totally 
like evolved since then, right? Like it's totally expanded to so many different things. It really has. And people's hand-stapled anarchist manifestos definitely still have a place in my heart. I think that there, I think it's really important that there be space for that at every zine fair, just because it is really important. My friend Harley um, publishes a really amazing personal zine called Yard Sale. And I think he's on issue 30 right now. And I often sit next to him. And it's just it's so different what he does compared to like a lot of what's happening now. But I think it's so special and that it's like really important that people keep doing that. When I when I got into zines and and like I think it was like my cousin who was like way older than me that told me about zines when I was a kid. And she's like, you know, you can make your own comic. It's called a zine. Like all you have to do is staple it together and draw it and whatever. So for a while on my aunt's kitchen table, my brother and I would do that thinking we were, you know, making a zine and we probably were. But then when I got older, I got more into sort of the parody zines. Like there was a, there was a zine called Gene and Scott, which starred Cyclops and Jean Grey from the X-Men, but it was done in like a really indie style. So it was, I liked kind of like the, you know, taking popular culture and like messing with it a bit. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually have a tiny little zine called Dirtbag Bat Hero. That's a whole bunch of drawings of Batman just being an asshole. He's like driving alone in the carpool lane or like giving the middle finger to a little kid or like not helping out when the bat signal is up there. But yeah, it's in like more of a sort of indie comic style. And I just did it because a friend of mine, every time he comes to my table, jokes about he's like, you know, do you have any books about Batman? Do you draw comics? Do you draw Batman comics? So I finally I made him a Batman comic. (laughs) That's cool. So what was it about zine culture where, where you're finally like, okay, this is this is where I fit. This is sort of, you know, the style of thing that I wanted that I want to do. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it is that I have the capability to produce my own work, so it's kind of a why not. And um, the comics I draw haven't I haven't really found a home for them in much of the way of anthologies outside of drawn poorly. Um, you know, they don't really fit in with anyone who sort of draws comics the Marvel way. Um, and so I think they're they're kind of living in their own little outcast world and they're their own little collection now of things that I've sort of put together myself. And I really enjoy doing it too. I like to have a bit of control over what my work comes out looking like. Um, so I think all of that has led me... Every time I do a zine fair, I say that I'm going to stop publishing my own work after this and then I never do. Yeah. I read the Drawn Poorly uh, comic, and it's cool. Like, it deals with some real issues, like, real heavy stuff. Like, I think uh, at least two of the strips that I read dealt with sort of getting used to either the absence of a relationship or, like, being alone or maybe not having a relationship ever again. And, like, are you okay with that and that sort of thing? It's a, It was a very emotional, uh, personal thing right like you know you're sort of dealing with like what your future is going to be and like how you know will you ever be in love again and that kind of stuff right yeah and a lot of my comics deal with relationships in that way which I sort of project myself onto even when I'm pretending to draw about other people right Um, I think a lot of the influence of Archie comics has been that I'm really interested in sort of just sort of non-stories about relationships and friendships but then it's sort of like Archie comics if everyone was really emo Right, because the emotional tension comes from, like, the emotion, right? It's not really, like, the drama of what's happening. It's more, like, the internal angst and strife that you're that you're going through as you're as you're contemplating 
what's happening. Yeah, I think that's definitely what I'm going for. They're, they don't tend to be really plot heavy. I'm trying to just kind of um, translate a mood to the reader. Yeah. And your drawing style is pretty, pretty sparse. It, it reminds me a little bit of like the those like Emily Goth comics a little bit like from uh I forget what what she's called but uh, Emily the Strange Emily the Strange yeah, yeah. do you, I, do you I, get that comparison a lot I don't actually um but I really like that I definitely had an Emily the Strange sticker on my water bottle in high school um I the only comparison that I've got and I don't think it was that accurate but it was really flattering was when I was in in, in illustration school uh, we were supposed to be working on a project that was supposed to be sort of um, goth Batman-esque style of graphic novels. And I was sort of just drawing the way that I draw. Um, and the editor that we were working with said, you know, we can't use this. Do you know Seth? Like, your work kind of looks like Seth. And I'm like, I think that you're trying to give me a critique, but that's like the nicest thing anyone's <laughs> ever said to me. He's probably one of the greatest cartoonists of our time. So like, that's that's totally cool. I'm actually just going to keep drawing this way if that's okay with you. Yeah, Seth is awesome. Uh, I, I've been to his studio. We had him on the show. It was it was fantastic. It was the greatest thing ever. Um, but yeah, like your work, it's... You know, did it take you a while to like find your drawing style? Because I, because I really like it. I like the sort of minimalist, uh, black and white aesthetic that you're kind of going through it for. Thank you. Yeah, it absolutely did. And I've definitely still play around with eye shapes and styles of drawing people. Um, one of the things that I challenge myself to do is I have a lot of trouble committing to a lot of black space, but I really love ink. Inking is my absolute favorite step in the process of making comics and so I I tend to get a bit carried away with it and I end up with like a lot of really heavy blacks but I think it it works out well. In our last episode with Jen Woodall we talked about graphic medicine and just sort of like being able to like use the comic medium to sort of exorcise or deal with uh, mental health issues. Uh, I think you're a continuation of that. Like you do that a lot in in, uh, Drawn Poorly and some of the other work that you have. Um, is that important to you, like being able to sort of uh, use comics as a kind of catharsis? Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, I didn't really realize that I was doing that, but I was actually diagnosed with bipolar last year. And it kind of brought in together all of the work that I had been doing in comics and everything that I was sort of trying to say. Um, and it made my work make a lot more sense to me. And it's actually been easier since then to feel like I was speaking my ideas a bit more accurately through my work because I have a bit of a better idea of what I'm saying. And and you realize sort of what's what's happening and like why you're saying what Yeah, you're saying. exactly. Right, right. Yeah, there's a bit more of a language, like an existing language around it um, that's easier to translate into imagery than just kind of um, abstract ideas or feelings that you're having would be. Before you were diagnosed, what did you think was happening? Or did you think anything was happening? I didn't think anything was happening. I thought it was just the way that I was. <laughs> did people notice? Or were they just like, uh, this is just who you are type thing? Or did anyone pick up on it at any point? No, I think everyone just thought that that was just the way that I yeah. was. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I had a tendency to start uh, baking really elaborate recipes in the middle of the night sometimes. And I just thought that that was a thing that I just did. But apparently that's like a form of mania. So um, having like really random ideas at really random times of day. Um, so it, it explained a lot of things. And it also explained a lot of like my late night 
uh, comic drawing frenzies where I would go and just like draw an entire thing over the space of like 12 hours, which I don't, I don't do that anymore. Wow. Yeah. And in uh, Drawn Poorly, like she's in the bathtub, you know, you sort of get like a really, uh, you get a sense of like the lows because, you know, there's sort of, you know, she's like going having like depressing thoughts and that sort of stuff too. So I guess that's also part of it a little bit. Um, it is. Yeah. I also just spend a lot of time in the bathtub. And so I draw myself in the bathtub all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I draw myself repeatedly. Like I'm either on my phone or I'm on my couch or I'm in the bathtub or I'm like talking to a cat and when I think about it, like those are the only things I do in my life anyway. So I think I need to do like a broader range of activities and then I can draw a bit more. Well, and it's not like your thoughts aren't common. Like I feel like everyone, you know, goes through that sort of stuff and they, they think those sorts of ways. It's not just because, you know, you have a bipolar, you know, diagnosis that, that this is a thing. I think like, you know, the thing that's cool about people dealing with their issues in comics is like, other people get to see how similar they are and how like relatable, you know, everyone's experiences are no matter what you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, what I ultimately hope for. Like, I think, you know, I'm not looking for comic fame and fortune. I'm really just looking to kind of connect with people. And when people come to talk to me about my work, what they're telling me is like, oh, you know, I really I feel this too, or this really resonated with me. And I think that that's become sort of what I aim for, because it's really nice to kind of connect with people that you don't even know on an emotional level. Right. And you are an illustrator. Like you you do, you know, you have appeared in different different magazines and that sort of thing too so it is kind of a career but like how do you how do you balance it because one of the things that everyone says about zinesters is like yeah zines are great but like you can't make like a ton of money uh doing them you know what i mean it's, it's sort of more artisanal so what do you say to that and how do you how do you balance making a living and and doing your art at the same time yeah, um, I think the short answer is I work all the time um, because I want to. Like, I want to put work out into the world constantly. Um, it's not that I have trouble saying no. It's that I keep getting offered projects that I really want to be part of. So I do. I have, like, a 9-to-5 job as well. And then I do freelance illustrations. So most of what takes up my time these days is I do event posters for the Review Cinema, which is my local repertoire sort of art house and repeat theater they do a lot of special events um so i've been doing and they commission local artists to do posters for them yeah i i love the review cinema uh i i, I it's so sad that i live uh you know on the other side of town because i oh, would no. be there every weekend <laughs> yeah you know it's on the west side and i live on the east side so uh but like the review cinema guys like this isn't just like you know, your regular, you know, repertory cinema. This is like one of the oldest cinemas in Toronto. It's probably the oldest one still standing. And it's like one screen. It was around since like the silent era. And they still show silent movies with like piano accompaniment and things like that. Plus, you know, uh, Mariel's not the only one who does posters for it. Like we've had Matthew Daly on and he does posters for the review as well. So you see a lot of artists that we've had on do posters for some of the movies that they're showing. It's really cool. Yeah, it's great. I really love doing it. And they keep coming to me with movies that I really like. So I just keep taking them and saying yes. Um, I also just started doing a monthly strip for their program that came out. The first one, I think, was in October. 
um, that's about sort of the life of the projectionist as this abstract character that works in the movie theater and sort of his thoughts and feelings about the things that go on um, in terms of like his job and what being a projectionist is like. So um, that's been really fun. That's awesome. Did they pitch it to you or did you come up with it? No, they pitched it to me. And actually part of what um, inspired them, uh, Eric, who's the the um, theater manager, was saying, he's like, you know, I really get a sense of loneliness and longing from your work. And I feel like that's a lot of what the job of being a projectionist is like. So I was like, so what you're saying, he's like, you seem miserable. Projectionists are miserable. You can write this comment. Yeah, yeah. Eric is a really cool guy. I actually interviewed him when I did a business profile on the review for Yellow Pages. Oh, fantastic. So on yellowpages.ca, there's some random entry of of you know some article that i wrote about the review that you'll see whenever you want to learn more about this business i'm definitely gonna look it yeah, up totally so and and what i love about eric is like he's not just a projectionist but he's the programmer too like he's the guy that puts together uh you know all the movies that you see and that sort of thing and he has really eclectic taste so it's always really fun yeah it's always really interesting stuff yeah, and then sometimes the Beguiling does a program there too, right? Yeah, they do, yeah. It, have you ever designed a program for any or a poster for anything that they're doing? I haven't. I, re- I would love to. Yeah, it'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah, they're so great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I uh, so I do those posters mostly in terms of illustration. I've recently stopped taking commission work just because I can't fit it in if I want to work on my own stuff as well. Um, because on top of trying to keep a stock of zines together for things like Kanzine and TCAF, I'm also working on a graphic novel, which is like a pretty long-term project and it's my baby and I'm trying to devote as much time to it as possible despite like all of these other plates spinning. So tell me about this graphic novel. You've been working on it for 10 years you said? Uh, I think I got the idea about 10 years ago and then part of what that process was was I wanted to get good enough at drawing to draw a graphic novel. Obviously like in comics I think you've probably talked to lots of people who would tell you that you can't just start drawing comics by drawing a graphic novel. That's like absolutely not how it works. Um, so I wanted to get some smaller work under my belt and then kept just getting ideas for other things and it kept getting sort of pushed to the wayside. Um, but I'm sort of working on it in earnest at this point and it's 40 out of 180 pages into penciling. So it feels like a real thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, that's, that's divisible into the eventual number. So you're on your way for sure. What is it about? Um, it's kind of the same themes that I've worked on in my other comics. And it's a bit of a continuation from my first ever mini comic, which was called Love Story Comics. Um, that's kind of just about relationships that start to deteriorate as soon as they begin and how that ties in with sort of mental health and just the lives of the characters. And it's a little bit, uh, it's not like horror-y, but it takes place in a world where sort of strange things are also happening uh, that are out of the control of the characters. And it's a bit more about like the mood of the story than necessarily the plot. Yeah, I think, you know, your your uh, your style is very much about mood, I think, more than more than anything else. The way that Eric was saying, you know. It's very, it's very uh, moody stuff. Is that sort of what you're going for? More the tone than the actual uh, content? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it has been really great to make my own smaller books and work out 
what it is that is sort of the consistent thread throughout my work and then turn that itself into a story rather than trying to start with something really plot driven, which I think I probably wouldn't have been able to continue because that's just not actually how I make artwork. Well, and, you know, it's sort of a take on a long tradition of like romance comics, like Archie comics, like they're all about the romantic drama and the you know, tension between Betty and Veronica and Archie and like, you know, that love triangle and you're sort of contemporizing it. Yeah, I hope so. You know, like it's through your comics that like, you know, we're you, you're sort of redefining what a relationship is in pop culture. Like it's it's not just a relationship with another person. It's it's a relationship with yourself, too. And how, how you're how you're going to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think in making comics, like it's a very solitary practice and my relationship with myself and my relationship to my work has become really important to me. Because you focus so much on relationships and like the internal drama uh, that happens because of them, when you're in actual relationships, do you have to be more careful? Um, I definitely have noticed that I, I want to be a person who draws diary comics and I'm just not. And I think a lot of it is not wanting to necessarily like air everything that goes in, on in a relationship and wanting to kind of contain it um, outside of my artwork. And I think that I find that um, I definitely relationships where someone is supportive of my work are really helpful, but um, also external to that work is really helpful. Too. Right. So the parts of yourself that you are putting into your comics are more like your internal feelings and less actual events that are happening in your in your love life. Yeah, I think it's like a little bit of both, but I, I tend to not write about what's like necessarily going on in my life. It's more, I'm feeling this, what could another person who's feeling the same thing be experiencing? And a lot of it is also based on stories that other people have told me about their relationships that I've sort of related to and um, understood that experience and thought that maybe that was something that other people would be able to relate to as well. Yeah, amazing. And then, you know, Inktober is a big thing. Like, we're in November right now, November 2019. So Inktober just happened last month. And I noticed that you published uh, your Inktober stuff from 2017 into one collection. Uh, you know, I, I think people have different attitudes about Inktober in terms of, like, you know, this is stuff that I'm just doing for fun or I'm just it's just an exercise, that sort of thing. What gave you the confidence to want to make it into a, into a book? Uh, I actually started with that plan. I think that's the only time I've ever successfully finished in Inktober. And at the time I was working freelance as a designer, I didn't have like a day job at all. And I had as much time to draw as I wanted. And so I was like, I'm going to draw an entire page comic a day for the entire month of October. And then I'm going to publish it into a book and it's going to be ready for canzine this year. And I'm going to print it. And that's going to be my new thing. Um, and so I did it and I finished it and it it was there. And I'm actually really happy with how it turned out, despite having that sort of time limit on it. But I don't think I could ever do it again. Well, and it's awesome. Like to have a goal, I think, is the only thing that forces us to finish things. So that's pretty cool. Uh, before we go, I want to talk a little bit about these small comics here, uh, Moth and uh, Pixie Dream Ghoul. Tell me a little bit about them. I mean, I think we've covered some of the general themes, but talk to me about them sort of specifically. Like, what could people expect if they were going to pick these up at, at a canzine? So, 
Uh, Moth, because it came first, is actually just sort of a classic mini comic. Like it's a story with a beginning, middle and an end. And it's a true event that happened to me. It has it sort of wraps up nicely. And it's about my encounter with a moth in the dark in my dad's house that flying around my room trying to kind of catch it. Um, And it was my first sort of I think it might be my only mini comic that's just its own book. Um, and it's probably my favorite thing that I've ever drawn. And then, um, Pixie Dream Ghoul, I had the idea for at Kanzine one year when I realized that I hadn't actually made any, I hadn't made an actual zine. Like all of my zines were really comics and I wanted to do something that felt more like it meant or that it was meant to be in like the classic sort of zine scene. So it's actually a collaborative comic or collaborative zine. Uh, I edited it. I didn't draw all of it and had people send me submissions and kind of decided on a theme and then looked at all the submissions and wrote like a little editor's note of how it was sort of curated together um, and then sent all of those people lots and lots of copies of it so that they could give it to people as well. And um, I thought it was more sort of a classic way of making small books. It's kind of like a handheld gallery. Like there's there's a... Uh illustrations and photos and mixed media and then there's a long uh text uh, as well so it's sort of more like a traditional book so in terms of like the next thing that you're working on what what are um some some of the other things that uh, people will be able to see your work in yeah i'm not working on much in the terms of in the way of things to submit to right now, um, I might have another new mini comic come out at TCAF. Uh, I usually do Zineland Terrace. So if they do that again, I'll try and be part of it this year. Um, but really, I'm trying to focus most of my energy on finishing my book. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, are you going to like periodically put out like previews of your book? I know that when people are working on things you know, for a long time, they sort of whet people's appetite with like little zines of it or little like previews of it that's happened before is that part of the plan for this I feel like I probably should I posted a single page of it on my Instagram a couple weeks ago and that's really the first time I've ever talked to a lot of people about it Um, and I've definitely considered either finishing and publishing it in parts or yeah publishing some sort of teaser I think I'd like to be more finished than I am right now um, before I decide what I'm going to do with it just because I want to see what it feels like as a finished product before it feels what before I can feel like what I want the sort of smaller offshoot to be and how long has it taken you to draw like to just to get it to this point um so I've drawn the entire thing twice because I can't really do thumbnails when I draw a little scribbly sketch I can't focus on what I drew 20 pages ago it doesn't look like anything anymore so I drew it as detailed as possible but just sort of roughed it out Um, and I think I started that process three years ago I did a residency on Toronto Island uh, for my 30th birthday which I also have a mini comic about called 30 Island and um, started drawing it really in earnest at that point and that's where I got the bulk of that drawing work done and then since then it's just been more of the traditional like 
blue lining out pages and eventually they'll get inked and then scanned and then put together. So what's a residency on Toronto Island like? Uh, it's amazing. It's a very solitary experience if you want it to be, or you can spend a lot of time with the other artists there. You, I got my own room and my own studio and I could just, you know, eat breakfast in the morning and then get straight to work and work as long as I wanted to. And, uh, I didn't have anything else to do. So I just spent a lot of time drawing and a lot of time watching old MTV cartoons and, um, yeah, it was a very immersive thing, and it was really nice to really be able to focus. How long was it? I was there for a week. Wow, yeah. that's really cool. I always, you know, I, I got married on Toronto Island uh, at the AIA, the Algonquin Island Association, and I always wonder, like, you know, how do people survive? Like, I get that it's, like, really beautiful and that sort of thing, but I see people with, like, their carts, you know, going to the city for, like, their groceries and stuff, and I'm like... I, I wonder if like daily living is sort of a pain in the ass as much as it's like really tranquil to, to work there. Yeah, you really have to like prepare all of your food for the week and haul it over in a great big suitcase. And then there's a big communal kitchen so you can cook if you as much as you want to. I had a fr friend who did a residency and she just ate frozen pizza for a whole week. Um, so that's also an option if you if that works for you. Um, but yeah, actually, there was a they have weddings at the space at Artscape when I was there and I was working one night and there was like a wedding happening outside and it was just such a lovely, like joyful place to be. Yeah, we just loved the mixture of the country and the city. It was it was a it was an amazing uh, backdrop. Yeah, that. it really doesn't. It feels like you're not in the city anymore because you can't see it from that side of the island. And it's just like you and the trees and the water. Right. Um, so it feels like you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and that's really special yeah really cool so i mean i i'm really excited for you i hope you finish this book uh i would really love to see it because i i really like your work and I, and a lot of it reminds me of like children's book illustration too because as much as there's sort of this moodiness to it you know there's sort of a you know sort of a whimsy to it as well and sort of like a, a childlike sense of wonder which i which i really appreciate so uh, so I'm really excited. I'm, I'm so happy that I got to meet you. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. Uh, where can people follow you on social media, you know, follow your career, figure out the stuff that you're doing, maybe find out when you're coming to the next zine fair near them? Yeah, so I'm Marielle Ashlyn everywhere. Um, it's really nice to have a unique middle name because it's great for my SEO. So it's uh, Marielle, M-A-R-I-E-L, Ashlyn, A-S-H-L-I-N-N. And that's like at Instagram, at Twitter, on Facebook, at Gmail, all of those places. Do you sell your uh, zines and stuff online? I do. I have an Etsy shop that's reachable through my website, which is also MarielleAshland.com. Awesome. Well, guys, check this out. These are like little mini zines and comics. You'll love them, especially if you go on her Instagram. Uh, she posts some stuff there. And if you like that aesthetic, please support her and, uh, and buy her work. All right. So we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi.
It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.